I was a public school teacher and my husband was a blue collar worker. So no matter where you live, I think that's a setup for, you know, living in debt almost indefinitely, uh, unless you have had some sort of some kind of money willed to you or something. So for us, we, we just thought there's got to be more to life than paying bills and dying. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 32. When I was at the Big Mass Tiny House Festival earlier in the fall, someone came up to me and gave me a big hug and introduced herself. She told me that she had bought my guide from my website, gone to my webinar, and then her and her husband and two kids converted to living in a tiny house full-time. That woman was Bryn Berger, and I knew that I had to interview her on the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast. Now, I really love Bryn's story for a few reasons. Um, It's a story about flexibility and creativity and using a tiny house to meet some unique challenges. It's a story that shows us that tiny house living has benefits beyond just financial ones. And this is a really awesome example of a family with not one, but two kids showing us all that it is possible to live tiny with kids. It's kind of like if Bryn and her family can do it, then so can you. So I really hope you stick around for this interview. Before we hear that interview, I just want to remind you that next week, I'm going to be opening the doors to my private online tiny house community called Tiny House Engage. Now, Tiny House Engage is perfect if you are researching or even building your tiny house and you have a lot of questions because the whole purpose of the group is to allow you to ask me questions that I answer every single day in our private members only group. We also post new training videos each week, so there's a library of training that has been growing for the last year and a half, and a very special benefit for Tiny House Engage members is that they actually get to listen in on these podcast interviews live as I record them, and you can actually comment in questions for me to ask of our guests. So if you've been feeling like, ah, I really wanted to ask Andrew Morrison something, or you had a downsizing question for Felice Cohen, if you're a member of Tiny House Engage, you would have been able to be live on that call, listening in and sending me your questions to ask. So to learn more, go to thetinyhouse.net slash T-H-E, stands for Tiny House Engage. And registration isn't open yet, but on that page, you'll see a sign-up form so that you can get notified when we do open up registration. So I hope to meet you in Tiny House Engage. Either way, hope you stick around for this interview with Bryn Berger because it's a great conversation. All right, let's get to it. All right. Welcome to the show. Bryn Berger blogs at The Mama on the Rocks about how she and her husband live tiny with their two kids and a pup. They made the move to simplify to afford to road school their extreme children and focus on reclaiming the joy that life should be about. Bryn Berger, welcome to the show. Hi, Ethan. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you back. We actually we tried <laughs> once and had some tech difficulties and I'm glad that we were able to make it happen. <laughs> yeah. So maybe you could just start by telling us your story. Um, you know, what you what were you doing before you went tiny and what inspired the change? Perfect. So we have been living tiny since August of 2017. Um, prior to that, 
my husband and I already were rather nomadic. We'd moved uh, probably five times in the nine years or eight years at that time that we'd been together. Um, and we were living in rural Virginia on what we thought was our dream. We had bought a 15 acre farm with a 2,200 square foot farmhouse and a barn and a workshop and fields for animals and a pond and hiking trails. Um, at the time I was teaching in the public school system and my husband was working managing a screen printing and a vehicle wrap embroidery sort of shop like that. Okay. What we found pretty quickly actually was that we were house poor. Um, and it wasn't because we couldn't afford our mortgage. It was really just because we, um, it's, we, it took us so much time. We were working, you know, 40 hour weeks, 60 hour weeks, 80 hour weeks sometimes, um, at these jobs, which even when they were good and we enjoyed them, you know, we weren't with our family, we weren't together. And we were doing that all to afford a mortgage on a home and a property that we weren't even able to be there and enjoy because we were working so much. So it sort of just seemed counterintuitive that we were doing all of this only to come home on the weekends and spend our time that we could be together as a family. Instead, we were, I was cleaning the house and my husband was doing yard work and fixing fences and, you know, doing all this stuff. And we weren't able to actually enjoy this, you know, quote unquote dream that we thought we were, you know, in the process of making. Um, at that time, our son was four and a half and our daughter was newborn and, our son had just been diagnosed recently, although he'd been showing some signs since he was about 18 months of, um, he was diagnosed with some behavior disorders. So my husband and I have a collective experience of over 30 years working with at-risk youth and youth with disabilities. So we knew pretty early on that um, he was showing some red flags of um, some behavior issues, kind of like ADHD and oppositional defiant disorder and things like that. Um, cause like I said, we had a fairly long history of working with those, that population. And so <clears throat> we were able to get him into a specialist in Virginia. Um, we found out that we were right. Um, but in addition to that, he also had, um, sensory processing disorder and generalized anxiety disorder. So all that said, we had tried for two years at that time doing everything that we could think of as far as homeopathic and natural remedies for him. Um, we made the very, very difficult decision to um, medicate him at that time. Um, but he was in public school and it, actually in the same county as what who wrote my paychecks as a public school teacher. And it was very difficult because though he had a tremendously awesome kindergarten teacher at the time, he they just weren't able to meet his needs because he's um, he's what's called twice exceptional, which means he's academically advanced but emotionally deficient. So he struggles to articulate appropriate emotions, um, which isn't just angry. It's also happiness or excitement. Um, anything like that's going to be a very big emotion for him. So um, try as they may, the public school system just wasn't working out. So my husband and I were kind of met with these difficult situations that all, as anybody that's ever been married or in a relationship knows, sort of compounds at the same time always, it seems like. Um, and so we'd been researching tiny house living because we already were pretty minimalistic anyway. Uh, and as I said, we were, you know, we had bought this farm, we were trying to live as sustainably as possible. 
um, and we were kind of nomadic prior to that anyway. So the more I researched tiny house living, the more it seemed to be a solution for all of the concerns we were having. Um, it was going to be able to get us out of debt. It was going to be able to be a solution to um, being able to enjoy life together instead of being stuck, like I said, almost being house poor and unable to enjoy time together. And most importantly for us, our, our main motivator was it was going to be able to afford for us to be a one income household so that we could better meet our son's needs. Um, at the time, like I said, I was a public school teacher and my husband was a blue collar worker. So no matter where you live, I think that's a setup for, you know, living in debt almost indefinitely, uh, unless you have had some sort of, you know, um, some kind of money willed to you or something. So for us, we, we just thought there's got to be more to life than paying bills and dying. And so that's sort of how we got to the tiny house um, solution. And so our story is not like many. We, um, we at the time were living in the county with the highest unemployment rate in our state. So we thought we could list our house after researching for a year, we could list our house and we would probably have some time before it would sell um, to that way we could build. So we had already found a builder. We were working on floor plans. We actually had sat through one of your webinars and had purchased um, one of your programs. And so we were kind of going through that. And so we thought, okay, this is how we're going to get there. We're going to have some time. And we have this grand plan. Well, we listed our house at 11.09 p.m. on a Sunday. And our realtor called us at seven o'clock the next morning on a Monday. And there were three families in a bidding war over our house. So clearly that was not what we thought was going to happen. Yeah. So it was validation for us that we were doing the right thing for our family, but it also gave us only two weeks to move 600 miles away for a job that I had accepted working with um, formerly incarcerated high school students. So we were moving from Virginia to Ohio. We had two weeks to figure out what we were going to do. So um, our builder, who was out of North Carolina, who we love and we're still using, um, they nor could anybody build a tiny house for four people and a dog in two weeks. So we went and purchased a used fifth wheel that's 36 and a half feet. Um, and we essentially just gutted it to meet our needs. So instead of the traditional, you know, what you would think of in a fifth wheel, we have not only have we painted everything, so it actually looks like home and we've been a show house at some tiny house festivals. Um, and people are always pretty shocked at the space that you have in here. We have more space than we need. Um, we have a main floor living for the bedroom, so we didn't have to have a loft. We have one and a half baths. Um, the open floor plan in the center um, is a shared kitchen, dining, and living area. Um, we removed the oversized um, hide-a-bed couch and actually used one of the bottom bunks from the bunkhouse because we only have two kids, so we didn't need four bunks. Um, and that gave us storage underneath for extra pillows and blankets. And it was also about six inches thinner and it was a little longer. So it gave us more practical seating. Um, we took out the dinette, which was horrible. And my husband bought about $40 in lumber and he built a bar top table. So it's um, traditional bar height that sits right at our window. So we can have workspace during the day and then it folds in at night and, it, and we eat at that table. So it creates essentially a square dining room table. Um, and then the most important thing and the thing that we thought was so awesome and we use it so much is in our kids room, 
we have um, on one side of the room bunk space for both of our kids, um, a shared bookshelf with their toys and their books, um, a wardrobe that has a closet and three drawers on both sides for each of them. And then on the opposite side where we pulled the extra bunks out, we created a road school area and a calming area for my son. So as I mentioned, he has behavior disorders and also um, sensory needs. And so he has a hanging, what's called a a pod hammock. So it's like a one person hammock chair and that helps him. It kind of is like a cocoon. So he reads in there. If he needs some time to calm down, that's a good place for him to go. Um, The road school area has a fold down desk with a chalkboard on one side. And then it also holds all of their office supplies inside of it. Um, as you know, living tiny, everything needs to pull double duty or even multiple duties. It's storage, it's a chalkboard, and it's also a desk. And then um, we covered one of the windows with a dryer, a large dry erase board so we can do lessons in there. Um, and then there's a bookshelf that has like art supplies and um, books that they're reading for homeschool or road school, excuse me. And, um, and it's just decorated in a way that the kids want to be there. Um, we That's be, great. Yeah, we wanted it to be a friendly and a fun space. Always when we get kids over here visiting, and definitely when we're at festivals, they think it's like the coolest thing ever. So we, we tend to be pretty popular. They have a Nerf gun rack in there. Um, <laughs> and then uh, my husband and my son last year for road school did, and one of their math lessons, he built a, my husband's a rock climber and my son really likes rock climbing and it's excellent for his extra energy. And so they built a rock climbing wall instead of his ladder to get in his top bunk. And so there's a rock climbing wall in there as well. And um, that's always a popular feature. (laughs) So I want to back up a little bit um, because I hear from parents who basically say, I would love to do a tiny house, but I have to wait. You know, I can't, I couldn't possibly do this with kids. I'm going to wait until they're, they're grown up. And so I'm amazed by your situation because it sounds like not only do you have kids, but you, you have more of a challenge than some. And I'm curious what about tiny house living made you kind of say, this is actually a solution, not, not another challenge. That's an excellent question. Um, (laughs) actually, uh, my previous, I would say in my previous life. So before teaching, I was in marketing and PR and, um, a writer and an editor. And I now actually write for several of the, um, the tiny house builders, uh, because of that exact problem that you just said. So people tended to think, and still some tend to think that the natural progression is you, you buy a tiny house. If that's something you're interested in, when you're single or maybe, you know, newly engaged or married. And then once you have kids, you naturally sell your tiny home and you buy a traditional stick built home. And then maybe you go tiny again when you retire. So for us, we thought, well, we're going to challenge that. Um, Not uncommon for us. We tend to challenge the status quo on a lot of things. Um, But for us, what I was reading a lot Um, I'm a huge nerd for just learning and reading articles and just as much as I can learn about things, especially if it's a sort of a challenge for us. So for our son's special needs, um, everything that I was reading and the research just backed up that simplicity is the key. So when you have somebody who has sensory needs um, or behavior needs, you need to reduce their stimulation. So anytime I always describe sensory processing, 
processing disorder as if you were to be wearing an itchy sweater. So Ethan, if you or I to wear, have a favorite wool sweater that we would want to wear, but it was itchy, we would just use the natural solution of putting a long sleeve t-shirt under it so that it didn't actually touch our skin. Um, for our son, every one of his senses is like an itchy sweater all the time and he can't turn it off. So his taste, his sight, his sound, his feelings, his nerve endings everywhere are just like the itchy sweater. So one of the reasons that that sort of pod chair, that cocoon hammock is good for him is because it, it puts pressure on his outer limbs and it suppresses those nerve endings. So it's able, it allows him to basically just kind of take a breath and get some relief. It's another reason why weighted blankets and things like that are so successful for kids like him. Um, and so for me and my husband, it was just, it seemed like at the time we were living in a 2,200 square foot farmhouse, which actually is, is smaller than the American average, um, but was big for our family. So our son was four and a half. He had his own room, he, which he had, you know, toys and bunk beds in there and a desk. And then our, our daughter, who was a newborn, had her own room and they both had a shared playroom. Plus, of course, kitchen and dining and guest room and our room um, in a basement that was a full basement. So all of that said, our son had at least four areas of the house where he had toys scattered or whether they were put away or not. He had different colors, different decorations. You know, there might be music. I might have a candle burning. So if you can think of that itchy sweater analogy and all of those things going on all the time for him and he physically in his brain can't shut them off. If you take that and instead you insert a house that's our house is 301 square feet, it's 301 square feet. All the walls are painted the same color except the bathrooms. He's able to have decorations that are sort of a muted tone in his room. He has his bunk decorated the way he chose. Um, he only has that one space that is his. So he has his own private space, but it's not as overwhelming and then everything that's in the house, it, it, with the exception of the bathrooms in our bedroom, is all one area for him. One area to play, one area to eat, one area to watch television, whatever, cook, help me cook. And so we drastically reduced his stimulation with that one solution. So what I would recommend is, you know, most working Americans would describe themselves as stressed out, overwhelmed. All of these things overworked, underappreciated. So for us, tiny house living, not only did it allow us to be a solution to the things that we knew were issues at the time, but additionally, it had all these extra bonuses we didn't even know to anticipate. And so we knew, or we had hoped, I guess, that, that those natural solutions would take place for our son that we had researched, but it also helped me and my husband. I, you know, I have anxiety as well. It's helped me to create a space, which is our bedroom. And then I also have a hammock outside that I go to a lot. So it encourages outdoor time. It allows you to get back to nature and unplug. It's We clean our entire house in 45 minutes every Saturday. So I always tell people, like, I feel like tiny house living has given us our life back. Like, not only are we able to spend more time together, but we're less stressed out. We're a one-income family. So the first year I worked outside the home, and my husband road schooled our kids. This year we switched. So in the summer, my husband went to work outside the home. 
and I road school our kids and I write and run my business online in the evenings. And so we're able to chase these dreams that we never thought were possible before as far as our careers are concerned, because we never had the time, nor did we have the financial grace in in our finances and in our budget for us to be able to do that. So like I said, it not only was a solution for us with our children, but it wasn't just good for them. It was good for us also. And you've used the word, you've used the term road schooling a few times now. So I'm curious, does that mean that you're constantly traveling or you're just, you move around sometimes? Explain what road schooling is. Sure. So um, we felt like, and of course I was a public school teacher and I felt like homeschooling at the time had a negative connotation for a lot of people. So for a lot of people, I felt like, you know, people were, were worried that homeschoolers were only religious based or homeschoolers were maybe deficient of social um, abilities. And so for us, we wanted a term that encompassed our family and our family if you haven't followed us is wild and crazy and our journey is crazy. And so road schooling seemed to fit because, um, we are not on the road all the time, but we are on the road some. So for our family, we are parked on a 20 acre farm, um, about nine months out of the year. So during that time, um, like I said, the first year, that was the time that I worked in the school, um, outside the home. And then we traveled cause I speak all over the country at um, tiny house festivals and actually um, more recently speaking both at um, mental health conferences and symposiums as well as a parent and an educator. And then also um, to school districts uh, to teach them about differentiating for kids like my son uh, for what we call extreme children or students with um, behavior disorders and sensory needs. Um, that's a growing concern in the public school system. And so when I was traveling, I, of course, again, one of the original things is we wanted to be together as a family. So I speak about twice a month. So one time a month I'll fly to wherever I'm going and I'm only gone a couple of days. And then the next time my family will come with me. Some of those times we take our house and some of the times we don't. So, um, when we're on the road, it's, pretty amazing because a big thing with kids with um, sensory needs and behavior concerns is being able to have a consistent schedule, predictable schedule, and a consistent environment. So being able to take our house, at first, some people in our family were a little curious, like, wasn't that going to be hard for your son because he needs stability, but it's actually provided more stability. So instead of traveling because before anywhere we've lived, we've had family hours away, like immediate family. And we've never really lived close. So anytime we would go somewhere for a week or so, that was always very hard transition time for my son. Um, hard to transition there and then hard to transition back. And so this, everything stays consistent because he's always got his bedroom. He's always got his road school area. He's always got his calming area because our house is with us. So that's been kind of tremendous. Um, it's also really cool to see the kids' reactions to, you know, parking somewhere new and looking out the winning, the dining room window and there's mountains one day and then, you know, two weeks later there's a waterfall or something. You know, <laughs> that's been kind of crazy. Um, so as far as road schooling is concerned, um, state-to-state -state homeschooling laws are different. Their expectations are different. Um, 
I'm a licensed teacher in Virginia and Ohio. And so I actually write all of our curriculum. It's all state aligned curriculum, um, just like I would make lesson plans for my own classroom if I was still in the public school. And so I taught ninth through 12th grade. And so I've written my son's curriculum from first grade on. And like I said before, being twice exceptional, he's about two to three years ahead academically. So technically, as far as the state is concerned, he's a second grader, but his work is mostly fourth grade work right now. Instead of just saying, here are three worksheets that are due at the end of the day, um, which any teacher is guilty of because we have a lot that we're held to as far as expectations within the school system. So in no way am I blaming teachers. I'm one of them. (laughs) Um, When we were in Colorado Springs, we were able to go to Garden of the Gods. um, And instead of just saying, open your book to page 73 and let's read about sedimentary rock. We're able to look at different types of rock formations while he's climbing on rocks. So the idea and the concept of road schooling is this hands-on approach to uh, like a STEM academy. So hands-on learning, project-based learning. Um, So it, it helps him to learn real life skills. It helps him to collaborate. It helps him to have problem solving skills. All of these things that in my opinion, as a public educator, we're bringing these kids up to answer questions on a standardized test, but not preparing them for real world skills. So when we go to the grocery, which we did today, my daughter and my son are with me. My son's job is to manage the list, um, tell me where we're going, what we're looking for, and he might have the task of adding everything up, or he might have the task of subtracting our coupons. So he always has some job that's related to a school lesson while we're there. So, and you know, we still do regular things like regular people and we might need to go to the post office that day or whatever, but, um, everything is hands-on. We try to do as many field trips and cultural experiences as possible, which we could have never done when we were living in our rural farm town before. We never could have done that. We couldn't have ever afforded to go on the trips and see the things we've seen or meet the people we've seen since we've been living tiny. It just would never have been possible. So how do you see your tiny house changing as your kids grow up and potentially need a little bit more space? Sure. So we get that question a lot. And definitely when we're a show home, we always hear that. So the warehouse is set up right now. um, And you can see that if you go on our website, there are lots of pictures and and video tours, excuse me. Um, But Right now, there's seven and almost three. And so they think it's super cool to share a bunk bed. (laughs) So our son has the top bunk and our daughter has the bottom bunk and they're on the right side of the house. The way their room is set up, we took out the bunks on the left side of the house and they're separated by a wardrobe. So should they ever choose to have the bunk put back in, which again, we kept it as our couch. Um, We still have that bunk. We can put it back in. We can create the road school space in a different way, like using just the top bunk on the the left side of the house um, and putting the road school space underneath that. Uh, So we, we did it in such a way that it could grow with them. And our floor plans for our build will actually have, um, well, they do actually have a a smaller um, built in area for a bunk for our daughter since she's so small underneath the stairs to a loft so that our son can have the loft bedroom. She can have the built into herself and then we'll have a drop loft on the other side. Cause my husband and I are only five, seven. And so we don't need all of the headroom. So, um, 
when our daughter's big enough that she needs to have her own loft space, she can move on that side. And then the built-in bunk area that was hers will become my desk. So we kind of have thought, how can we grow it? We want to make sure that we, we feel like it's super important for everyone in our household to have their own space. And we get that question a lot with tiny living, but it is doable. Um, I do always talk about not only the, the plus of being able to be encouraged to be outdoors when your real estate inside is very small, um, but also we have our own areas outside. Um, my son really likes to snowboard. And so there's a huge mound behind our house that it, when it's snowy, he snowboards on it. When it's dirt, he snowboards on his stomach down the dirt pile, <laughs> but he'll go and ride his bike down that or whatever. Um, I mentioned her before my hammock, my husband is a gunsmith by trade. So he kind of has a workshop area set up. Um, and so everybody has their own place. And so if we just need time away or, you know, just mental vacation, um, we all have that area, both inside our home and outside our home. That's fantastic. And I, I don't know many people who have thought through it that much. You know, I hear, you know, when, when our kids get a little bit old, older, maybe we'll need to revisit this space. So that's awesome that you've really thought through it. Are you planning, because you mentioned earlier that you, you had a builder. Are you still planning on having a, I guess, traditional tiny house on wheels built? Or are you, are you happy with the, the fifth wheel for the long haul? Well, I would not have given you this answer a year ago. <laughs> um, but, you know, everything's a learning curve with tiny house living and with anything. So we're actually, at first we were sort of disappointed having to go the fifth wheel route because we were given such limited time. But it's actually been a blessing in disguise, both financially and just um, because it is so easy to haul being so lightweight. And so for us, we'll never sell this because whether we use it to vacation or to just travel, um, it is a great home and we love it. So what we actually have recently talked about um, and what some families do, and I've, I know there are a couple of families online that talk about this. Um, doing almost like a kid's pod where they have one tiny home that's just for their kids. Um, and then as they get older into their teens, maybe they are allowed to have a bedroom that's outside the tiny home. So maybe they have their own space for us. And as if you ask any special needs parent, they're always concerned about what happens as their kids get older. So um, for us, I think what we'll probably do and what our plans are right now um, is to build a traditional tiny home, um, we're not sure that it will be on wheels though. We had originally always planned on that. So for the last probably two and a half years, that was our goal. Um, but what we've talked about recently, cause we've been, gosh, I think I've spoken at nine or 10 different places are just since April. Um, and so we've been fortunate enough to see a lot of the country. And I think we'll probably choose about two places that we really loved as far as the area. And we're a big outdoor family. So we like to do a lot of um, just, you know, hiking and biking. My husband's really big into biking and um, rock climbing and all that. So choosing two places that offer that kind of thing for our family um, and building not necessarily park models in their natural thought of, you know, being larger 400 to 600 square feet will probably stick to our regular size. Um, but just be stationary. And 
put them in two places on land that we've purchased and use the fifth wheel to travel between the two. Um, and then when we're parked in either place, either rent the fifth wheel out as an Airbnb or use it as just a separate space for our kids to, whether we just turn it into road school only, um, or, you know, kind of a play area for them. But, um, we're very cautionary to not have too much space. If you ask most people that have gone tiny, they generally will tell you they wish they would have gone smaller. Not everyone, but as you pare down, and I know you know this because I've heard you say it, you're, you're really surprised by how little you actually use and need. And so we're the same and our kids are the same. Um, and so I think that's important that we kind of stick to that smaller scale. It looks like you have an e-course, uh, Downsize Your House, Upgrade Your Life, Timeline to Tiny. Yeah. Uh, tell me about it. So um, as a teacher, I was getting, on all these speaking events, I obviously interact with thousands of people every time. And all these people were saying pretty consistently, like, I'm sold. I think the tiny house idea is awesome. I want to do this. But how do I do it? Like, it's really overwhelming. And there were a lot of courses for DIY builds or how to's and all this. But in my brain, I just thought, well, I already have a year's worth of research because we did it for our downsizing. Um, it makes sense that I would just teach it in a class. <laughs> and so um, what I did was I took our budget template, which is the actual budget we used and we still use. Um, our needs and wants list, which I talk about in the course and how important that is, um, especially when you have kids, um, but for anyone in any season of life. Uh, different floor plan options, um, zoning and coding by state. So it has a link where you can check and that is automatically updated. Because uh, for a lot of people, that's a huge question. I don't talk about that a lot because um, of legalities and I do have kids. So I always am very cautious to let people know it is important. So I provide it in the course, but I don't go into any depth as far as that's concerned. Um, and so essentially it's set up over the course of a year because that's what we did. But you can use it however fast or slow you want. It's a series of nine minute or less videos with me explaining the different downloadables you get. So you get printables in each section. So you, all of the things I just talked about, you can, you once you download the course, you have them forever. Um, and you can use them at your leisure. So I explain why are they important? How do you use them? And then I also go through things like in the course of a year, or let's say you shorten it to six months or you stretch it out to five years, whatever works for you. Here's where you should be at this point in your budgeting in your purging of your stuff, all of that. So it kind of walks you through those big things, those big hurdles to get to tiny living. Um, people just think, Oh my goodness, I have this house. Like for us, my husband and I had been together. We'd been married eight years at the time and we'd been together 12 years. So that 12 years of collecting stuff is a lot, especially when you have children. And so it can feel very overwhelming. People that are going into tiny living and they're retiring, they might have 50 years worth of stuff they've collected. And so just that purging process can feel really overwhelming. Um, budgeting for that. If you're not somebody that has a large savings, that can be scary because um, financing tiny homes is a relatively new concept. So not all builders offer that. So how do I save up for a down payment? How do I, all of that kind of thing. Um, because for a lot of people, that sort of financial freedom that tiny house living offers is one of the main motivators. So 
that most people going into it don't have that savings. So essentially the e-course, um, it's on my website and it's, I sell it for, um, $47. And I chose that price because, um, like I said, we were a family, a paycheck to paycheck family before I was a teacher. My husband's a blue collar worker and, you know, some courses that are more expensive, we'd have to save up for them. So, and that's great. Like, you know, sometimes when they're really expensive, it's because, you know, you might get a better result because you're really dedicated to it. I wanted to make sure um, that it was accessible and affordable for almost anyone. And that even if you had to save up for it, it was because it was something that was really important to you. And, you know, you have access once you have that to asking me direct questions. I have people that bought it almost a year ago that still are saying, all right, so I'm in month eight and here's where I am. And I have a question about this. And so I love that. I love being able to interact with, um, with people that are following. And so, um, yeah, it's just a really low pressure e-course that can kind of walk you through. And like I said, once you download it, you have all of the things that go with it, plus the videos for the length of the life of your computer where you downloaded it. Well, that's great. Yeah. One thing that I like to ask all of my guests uh, is what are one or two resources that helped you along the way that you'd like to recommend to our listeners? Perfect. Okay. So two things, one tiny house related and not one not. Um, So um, we did your webinar and we got your downloadable, was it a book? Tiny House Decisions, The Guide, plus videos oh, and gosh, system yeah. tours and all that okay stuff. so you guys if you don't have this you better go on ethan's website right now and you better get it because it's awesome um and webinars with ethan are like maybe the best thing ever because i felt so famous when he answered my questions <laughs> um so that is the thing that i would suggest as far as tiny house living is concerned um and then the second thing i would suggest is a book called simplicity parenting um and this is good regardless of whether you have an extreme child or not, um, regardless of whether you want to live tiny or not, this resource for us um, was really good for us to just kind of see how could we better parent our children because every child needs things differently, um, regardless of their special needs or not. Um, and that's something we've, t- we've taken into our tiny house life. So being able to, like I mentioned before, reduce stimulation by just reducing the amount of things. Um, every time I speak, I always take a box on stage with me. So if you're familiar with like a Target or a Walmart or a, any kind of department store, they sell these felt boxes that are like $5. And they're maybe 12 by 12. Um, and my kids have two of those. And this was recommended through this book and not specifically to, but to get a container that was a specific size that fit your needs in your home. Uh-huh. So eat, my kids have two. One goes on the end of their bed because they're still short. <laughs> and one goes on their bookshelf. And that's what they have for toys. So if it doesn't fit, it doesn't stay. And that's one wow. very simple and practical step. And parents freak out when they see that. They're like, there is no way. But what I always tell them is, you know, how many of us, even when I was a kid, I had a toy box and I couldn't have told you what was on the bottom of it because I never dug to get to the bottom, right? And so our kids have stuffed animals on, in one on the foot of their bed and they have like action figures, baby dolls, blocks, whatever, in the other one that's sort of, you know, shared. And 
they don't want for anything. We still purge every six weeks to clear our house of any items that haven't been used or worn in that last amount of time. And then we keep a tote of toys at a family member's house that lives a couple hours away. So anytime we visit, they take some toys and we use it as a library system. They check in to their tote, the toys they've brought from home, and they're able to check out toys that feel new to them, but it didn't cost me any money and it doesn't take up space in my house. So it encourages our kids to get involved with the community, use things like the library and things that are kind of becoming obsolete. Um, And it allows them to see that those things do exist. It gives them a reason and an excitement to be um, community-minded. And it also is an awesome way just for toys specifically for me to not have to spend a bunch of money (laughs) on things they don't, they already have. Well, that is some brilliant advice. Uh, I don't have kids, but I almost want to read the book for my own toys. Seriously. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Bryn Berger, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. This was great. I am so Uh, You're welcome. Thank you so much. I'm flattered you asked me and I'm so excited. And everybody needs to go on your website. Like I said, download your stuff. It's amazing. And what you've done for the tiny house movement has been awesome. I'm just so encouraged by your work. Thank you so much to Bryn Berger for being a guest on the show today. You can find the notes and links mentioned in the show at thetinyhouse.net slash 032. That's thetinyhouse.net slash 032. And I told you a little bit about Tiny House Engage before the show started, but I just wanted to remind you again, registration is going to open next week. Uh, The registration is only open for five days, and then it's closed again for another six weeks. I like to try to keep the group small and focused. So if you're interested in joining a group of Tiny House enthusiasts, who have lots of great questions, lots of great projects going on, and you think you could benefit from asking me questions along the way, then check out thetinyhouse.net slash T-H-E and sign up to be notified when registration opens next Friday. Last thing before we go, I just want to make sure that you are subscribed to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast. I want you to be subscribed to the podcast because you will get each new episode automatically delivered each week. You don't have to guess when there's one coming out. They come out every Friday morning. So whatever you're using to listen to podcasts, maybe you use the Apple Podcasts app on your iPhone or you use Google Play on your Android device, wherever you are right now, just make sure you hit subscribe so you get that episode every week. And if you're not subscribed, maybe you're listening on my website or through another online site. The Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast is everywhere, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and we're even on Spotify. So if you like using Spotify to listen to music, just search for Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast and click follow. Well, that's all for now. My name's Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.